world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Of all the financial issues that impact our aging parents, planning for Medicare and Medicaid are among the most important and the most confusing. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane's special guest expert, Geraldine Callahan, demystifies the process. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. My very special guest expert this week has a deep passion for educating seniors and their families about strategies designed to pay for long-term care while protecting their assets. She knows the ins and outs of Medicare and Medicaid and has been recognized by the media as a leader in her field. She is president of Callahan Financial Services Group a firm specializing in healthcare financial planning for seniors and the elderly. Geraldine Callahan, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you because I get calls all the time, you know, from um, children of aging parents that their parent gets ill and they need care and they believe that Medicare will cover everything. And then, you know, when I talk to them about their insurance and say, geez, you know, Medicare won't cover that, they say to me, okay, well, then we'll just get, you know, mom on Medicaid. And so um, they get plunged into this confusing world of Medicare and Medicaid and they don't, you know, they don't realize the process. So your what you do is really important, and I'm going to bombard you with questions that I'm sure um, our lesson, listeners are thinking of them as we go along as well. The first question I have for you is probably more for our listeners than their parents, but this is a, um, I think this is a good question. What if a, a person is still working? Do they have to enroll in Medicare and pay for Medicare? Oh, that is a great question, and I have to tell you, I probably get that the, one of the most uh, when it comes to Medicare. Uh, generally, you know, if you have insurance through your employer or your spouse's employer, as, as long as there is at least 20 or more employees, and that's the key, if there's 20 or more employees on a group plan, you do not have to enroll in Medicare. Huh. You'll actually be giving uh, a special enrollment period, which will allow you to enroll when you come off the plan. Wow, I see. Wow, so that depends on your employer, really. Yes, it does. And I always recommend that people talk to their employers uh, just to make sure they don't require them to go on Medicare A and B. But as long as they haven't required it, they haven't told you you have to go on Medicare, you don't have to. I do want to say that um, many will also ask about the Part A. Uh, it is free since you've paid for it through your taxes. So there really is no need to delay that if, if you want to uh, just get that, just to have it to supplement your employer benefit. Uh, that's always a good idea. 
So you you mentioned Part A. I know there's there's so many alphabet pieces in Medicare. Could you could you <laughs> tell us about the different parts? Oh, absolutely. So. Um, so let's talk about the main ones. I think we, we don't have enough time to go through everything, but the main <laughs> yeah. one is part. Uh, there's Part A, which is um, hospital insurance, and um, it covers basically doctors' visits or any kind of stay in skilled nursing facilities. There's Medicare Part B, and most people are familiar with Part B. It is uh, medical insurance, and it normally will cover 80% of the cost of your medical, uh, meaning it covers doctor's visits, uh, lab tests, uh, patient procedures, uh, just to name a few. And then we have Part C, and that <laughs> is quite confusing to people because uh, Part C is a uh, what is called a Medicare Advantage plan, and uh, these are plans that are usually offered by private companies, and uh, they provide... Uh, you know, same benefits as Medicare, but it's managed by an insurance company that are contracted with Medicare. Um, they usually have a HMO or PPO aspect where you have to stay within a network of doctors. Hmm. And then finally, there's Part D. So D for drugs. Um, again, it's a prescription drug coverage plan. And um, there are a number of private companies that you can sign up for, for Part D. Now, um would, is there an advantage to uh, buying Medicare Advantage plan over the original Medicare? Or, well, you know, there's there's pros and cons to everything, and I really think it depends on the person's situation. Um, some Medicare Advantage may have additional benefits that original Medicare. When I say original Medicare, I mean original meaning Medicare Part A and B. There's some benefits they may not cover that are found under Part C. But, you know, with a Medicare Advantage, they're usually, you know, based on the state and the county that you reside in. There's a lot of restrictions. There's the networks. Whereas being with original Medicare and having a supplement plan, you can pretty much go where anywhere that they accept Medicare, and there's less restrictions okay. as well. Okay. Now, um, is there a certain time? What if, you know, I know... Um, like I was talking to my mom and dad, and they don't have, you know, Part D. And I'm thinking, geez, what if we wanted to add Part D? Is there a certain time that you can make a change to their plans? Yes. Um, generally, if they're obviously if they're turning 65, that they have an open enrollment to do that. If they're coming off a group plan, they can. Uh, they have a special election to sign up for Medicare Part D. Uh, but also uh, every year, it's called. Um, October 15th through December 7th is the annual election period in which you can make changes to your Medicare Advantage plan as, as well as your Medicare Part D prescription plan. Ah, okay. Now, does a husband and wife have to be on the same plan? No, uh, Medicare is individualized, so you can't be on the same plan with your husband or your wife. Okay, so yeah, I was just I was thinking about that. You know, that's uh, that's a common question. Yeah, because you would it is individual, but you would think they would have to be on the same plan, but they don't. So that's good to know. Now, yeah. we, does Medicare cover? Um, I think you probably mentioned this, but it does not cover long term care. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. And yeah, it does not cover long-term care, and um, I can go into details about that. But it also doesn't um, 
covered dental, eye exam, glasses, hearing aids, uh, alternative medicine is not covered under Medicare. Um, as far as long-term care goes, um, it will cover the first 100 days in a skilled nursing facility, but uh, you had to have stayed in a hospital at least three consecutive days and beyond 100 days, and I think there's a lot of confusion. Right. People assume that it's going to pay for long-term care, and it, it doesn't. You're basically on your own after the 100 days, and you do have the heavy co-pays that comes with those 100 days as well. Yeah, that's what really... Um people struggle with because they think it you know it it just will medicare will just continue to pay and then there's they're thinking oh my gosh what do we do you know yeah yeah it's, it's very disappointing for people when you're in that situation and you know often very confusing and you think you've been paying for your medicare supplement and it's going to cover that care but it really does not it it um like i said only the first 100 days and now what about nursing home care? Does Medicare cover that? No, it, it doesn't. Medicare is not designed to cover long-term care. At all. Um, you know, okay. You're going to be in a facility long-term. No, it's not designed for that. Now, um, does Medicare cover any preventative care? Yes, yes. Well, and I mean by that, so your annual checkups and visits, mammograms, so, so all those annual uh, required visits are covered. Okay, so those are covered. And um, I hear people, we hear people talking always about a donut hole. <laughs> Could you explain that? Yeah. Oh boy, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's probably is it going to take four, <laughs> four hours, right? <laughs> yeah, it would take some time to kind of explain that. Um, there's going to be some changes that's anticipated uh, with the whole donut hole, um, possibly closing it out uh, by 2020. Um, but basically, it has to do with the prescription drug plan, and um, after you you spend a specific specified amount between yourself and what the company has paid out in benefits, you then move into a donut hole where you're paying a higher percentage cost of your of your prescriptions, basically. Huh. And um, yeah, so often it, it catches seniors off guard because they are on a fixed budget, and then when right. they're in a donut hole, they have to pay, in some cases, their prescriptions will double. Oh my gosh. And, um, yeah, they're usually, yeah, it's, it's uh, and I, I very difficult. Yeah, I wonder if people know that, you know, when they sign up for Part D or anything, I guess that will explain a lot of people, it. Or... Yeah, a lot of people don't really understand that aspect of it. And um, at some point, it does go into what they call catastrophic coverage, where it does go back down um, significantly. But then, you know, once the year starts off again, you start back with the whole uh, initial coverage period, then you move into the donut hole and... So it's a cycle that happens every single year to seniors, and usually if you're taking a lot of medications, you'll end up in that situation. In that donor. Um, okay. In the donor home. So we'll be back to talk more with Geraldine, but I just wanted to talk to you about something. If you're a woman or you have a woman in your life, you really need to hear this. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise, and although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. 
Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on iTunes, Google Play and on demand using the iHeartRadio app. The best things in life are free, but you can get them to the birds and bees. I need I want to welcome our new international listeners. Please forgive my pronunciation. In, in Japan, from Kyoto and Kobe and Sapporo. Gosh, I probably murdered those. But And in Spain, Seville, Malaga, and Bilbao. Welcome. So now we're here with Geraldine Callahan, president of Callahan Financial Services Group, um, and she specializes in healthcare financial planning for seniors and the elderly. So we were we were talking about Medicare. Now we're going to talk about the second M, <laughs> Medicaid. Um, so, uh, Geraldine, can you tell us the difference between Medicare and Medicaid? Oh yes. So Medicare is basically health insurance. And it's health insurance for those that are 65 years old or older or someone that has been on uh, disability for at least 24 months. Medicaid, however, it is a mean-tested federal program that basically will pay for long-term care services for the age blind and disabled. Now, why do people apply for Medicaid? Oh, great question. Um, you know, most people don't intend on applying for Medicaid. You know, they don't work hard all their lives and save their assets and uh, having to go on uh, government, uh, receiving government benefits or government help. But the reality is, is that as we have an aging baby boomer population, um, many of them maybe did not save enough for long-term care or uh, they start out privately paying these nursing home facilities and you know, I don't know by where you are, Diane, but 
our in New Jersey, um, it, the cost is about twelve thousand dollars for some of these nursing homes yeah. a month. So yeah. they quickly uh, run out of funds, and um, uh, they need to rely on government benefits. Uh, we also have people who start out with paying with long-term care insurance. Yeah. Pretty soon, <laughs> those benefits are drained out, and the only way they can get the care they need is to apply for government help and we know that half of the people that are in nursing homes today in in the U.S. are covered by uh, Medicaid. Now and that's true and you know we're running into so many uh, different issues today you know our parents are living longer people are living longer so we're running into all these um, situations where we didn't have them before um, now, Medicaid, that is um, different in every state. Why is that? It is different. Um, you know, it is a joint federal and state program. Um, the, the federal government generally will pay 50%, and the states will basically cover the remainder balance. But they are given broad discretion as to who are they going to cover and what benefits they're going to provide. So. Each of them are going to have different rules, different set of rules, and even some states, uh, there's different rules at the county level. So it's very difficult um, to kind of understand sometimes how Medicaid works. It really is. You definitely, people definitely need, um, you know, a person like yourself, uh, your your group to help because this is, it is a maze and it is, there's so many um, rules and regulations and uh, stipulations. So I, my hat's off to you for understanding this and taking this undertaking. Um, with Medicaid, is there a, there's a limit uh, to the amount of income you can have? Yeah, there's a limit to the amount of uh, income you can have. And again, in most, uh, in most cases, most states, your income cannot exceed the cost of the nursing home. However, there are certain states that will actually have an income cap. Uh, they'll say, for example, you can't make more than $2,000 or $2,250 uh, in order to qualify for Medicaid, and the numbers can vary. Um, so there's, there's specific rules, a specific tests you must pass uh, when it comes to income, whether you're single or whether you're married. Uh, there's different okay. rules. Okay. And now, does Medicaid... It, it looks at um, the asset. It, that's what I was curious about, and I'm sure everyone, because if you're if you have mom and dad, does Medicaid look at the assets of the individual or the couple? How does that work? Because if one person needs um, to apply for Medicaid for care. Yeah, um, Medicaid is going to look at the assets. If you're a single person, they'll look at your assets. And generally, you can't have more than about $2,000 in assets, okay. which is, which is uh, you know, yeah. not very much no. at all. And if you have any assets, you have to basically spend that down on your care before you can qualify. Um, there's also, they, when you are married, the, the asset limit is much higher. Um, if there's a healthy community spouse, is what they call it, a community spouse is the one living in the community and who's doing well. Uh, but they're still, they're going to look at the assets of both. And, um, you know, I think that's very difficult for people because you have the, the healthy spouse who needs yeah. the money to be able to maintain their lifestyle, and much of it um, does have to be spent down as well. 
in order to pay for their care to, in order to qualify. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a tough, a tough, situ- tough situation. Is um, is life insurance an asset? Is that considered an asset? It is uh, considered an asset, yes. And, you know, as a financial advisor in the past, I've helped people get into life insurance because there's many benefits to having it, especially whole life. But when you're, you know, applying for Medicaid, it becomes a problem because if you have more than, at least in, um, you know, our area here in, in the states, United States, um, you can't have more than $1,500 in assets in terms of the, long, the life insurance. So ah. the cash value cannot exceed fifteen hundred dollars. So what happens? So I, what do what do people do? If <laughs> yeah, what do people <laughs> do? Well, you know, <laughs> some of them will obviously have to close out that life insurance policy and take the funds and spend it down. Others will transfer it. We always try to help them in terms of a um, the funeral trust. We advise them on the funeral trust because that you can convert some of the cash and protect it into a, if you put it into a funeral trust uh, account. So there's a, a couple things that you can do with it, but, um, you know, something as basic as life insurance can become yeah. uh, a problem for some people. So the funeral trust, could you explain that a little more? Is that, that is a way to protect um, maybe certain assets? Yeah, it is a life insurance policy, essentially, that is held in a trust that is irrevocable, you know, where you can't have access to that money. Okay. Um, And because it's protected and it's irrevocable and you you, you can't use it, Medicaid will usually, you know, they allow us to use that product. Huh, okay. So, for example, you know, I've had, you know, let's say someone had $15,000 in cash in the life insurance policy, they right. can convert it, make it irrevocable, put it into the funeral trust, and now it, is, it immediately becomes protected and, and they can immediately qualify for Medicaid. Wow. That, I mean, that's something um, I wasn't familiar with that. Are there any other yeah. um, strategies like well, that? There, there's a lot of strategies. I think, um, you know, ideally you want to talk to an attorney at least, you know, sure. generally you want to do the planning five years beforehand because there is a five-year look back. Uh, but there are certain things that, that can be done in terms of, uh, you know, I can only speak from a financial perspective, financial advisor perspective. Um, I won't go too much into detail. There's things like Medicaid-compliant annuities that can be used. They're not your traditional annuities. They're specific to Medicaid, and in uh, some cases okay. they can protect assets for the healthy spouse. Um, so there's there are a few things uh, that you can do. I do recommend that you speak to a, an expert um, who understands the process and the rules um, to guide you. Definitely. I, I always tell um, our listeners, um, you know, seek out the professionals because, you know, there's... Healthcare today, or or you know anything you know medical or financial, um, you you have to seek out the professionals. There's so many intricacies of everything, you know. So you want to be sure you're making the right decisions and you're guided in the right way. Um, can a can a person transfer their assets to their children to qualify? Oh, I can't tell you how many people try that or okay. they, uh, yeah. <laughs> they'll try to transfer it to their children, and, you know, but something um, as simple as I've had clients that have given gifts to their uh, grandchildren because they were getting married or paid off their college loan or just, just doing nice things for their family right. in return. 
it's ended up hurting them. Uh, what happens is you end up with a penalty because you transferred the assets over, you gifted. But uh. um, yeah, what we didn't discuss is the five-year look back. You know, Medicaid does have a five-year look back where they will go back um, uh, anything that you've given away or transferred uh, five years before the actual Medicaid application will actually possibly count against you and result in a penalty period uh, and disqualify you sometimes or of the benefit. So you cannot gift. It is okay. an absolute no-no to give assets away. Wow. Yeah, so people don't know that. So, yeah, you really do have to seek out professionals. And mm-hmm. my... Um, are adult children, this is a big question that, you know, comes up all the time, are, are adult children responsible for, for the medical bills of their parents? You know, I'd hate to tell you, um, but a few states have actually um, enacted some of these rules. It doesn't happen often, uh, but more so now because, you know, Medi- Medicaid is at risk and yeah. there are potential cutbacks that are uh, happening. So more and more states needing more funding and needing more money are um, considering or have implemented uh, rules where the adult children is responsible uh, to support a poor or needy parent. Um, you know, specifically any cost that uh, is not covered by Medicaid, they could potentially be responsible for. Wow. And not to scare anybody, it doesn't happen often, right, but, but uh, there's well, been a few cases where they've, they've actually implemented that. Geraldine, we've, we've run out of time, but please, could you tell people, tell our listeners how to reach you, how they can get in touch with you? Oh, okay. I'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners one-on-one if they have questions or need a consultation. 973-325-7500 is my office number. Again, 973-325-7500. Thank you. Thank you, Geraldine. I hope this episode helped you with something you may be dealing with at this moment. Please keep emailing your questions and comments and share as much detail as you can. You can reach me at parents at Diane at parentsarehardtoraise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Subscribe to our show on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. I'd be so grateful if you'd share this episode with your family, coworkers, and friends. Episode number 70. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to reading your comments and can't wait till we meet up again on the next episode of Parents Are Hard to Raise. Till then, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week. <laughs>